Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hello and welcome to the Healthy Herb Podcast, a place of information and inspiration for the home herbalist. I'm Bridget Doherty of the Solidago School of Herbalism, coming to you from a bridged island on the coast of Maine. In today's show, I'm talking about ground ivy, a common lawn plant that is likely growing right under your feet. Before we get started, I want you to know that I'm not a doctor, nor do I diagnose or treat people. What I share is based on my own experience and what I've learned from my mentors. Ultimately, I want you to be empowered in seeking and achieving your own version of optimum health. I want you to be inspired to connect and relate to the common plants that grow all around you. Together, let's make home herbalism be as common in the everyday household as cooking a healthy meal. Now, without further ado, let's have some fun and dig in. Well, today I'm excited to talk about ground ivy because right now it is blooming gloriously all throughout my yard and quite possibly yours as well. And it's a plant that I feel like was really commonly worked with um, both in making beer and as medicine in history, but as kind of in some ways grown out of popularity, it's not an herb that dries well, so it's not an herb that's commonly on the market. It's not not one that you can often buy, but it is a really easy one to harvest and work with yourself and A lot of gardeners or lawn perfectionists um, often dislike this plant, but for me, I've always loved it, and it's a wonderful wild mint. But before we get into ground ivy, I wanted to just talk about um, a couple different things first, briefly. So one is, you know, a few podcasts back, I, well, beginning of May, I was talking about how May Day in the sun calendar and the historically the agricultural calendar, especially in like Anglo-Saxon places, that it's really seen as the beginning of summer and I like to shift my mindset to that. So where the beginning of spring is in February, the height of spring is the equinox, and then the end of spring and beginning of summer is May Day. And then the height of summer is the summer solstice, the longest day of the year, which then declines, uh, summer declines toward the beginning of fall, which happens the beginning of August. And the more that I'm, you know, outside and working with the plants, the more that 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 perspective of the seasons really rings true for me. So, um, and I just, I've been thinking about it more often and I wonder if maybe you've considered that and if that has shaped your perspective at all of the seasons. Also, I want to let you know that my book has finally released. 
um, last Tuesday on May 24th. And so now it's available for sale um, without pre-ordering. And you can get it on Amazon. Soon I will offer it on my website once I get um, my order of copies. And if you're local, it'll be at some local shops here. If you're interested in getting it into your local bookshop, uh, feel free to reach out to me. We can see how that can happen. Also, um, if you don't already have my book, Drinkable Healing Herbal Infusions, 100 Recipes to Ease Your Ailments and Boost Immunity, then definitely check it out. It was a labor of love. Um, it's very nice, like basic beginner level herb book, which really goes into detail on how to make herbal preparations that can be turned into beverages. So everything from tisane tea to long infusion, nourishing infusions to syrups, um, decoctions, honeys, shrubs, oxymels, um, switchel, all kinds of fun herbal infused beverages, even hot chocolate, smoothies. So it's a wide variety. It's not just herbal teas. And the recipes, I really made a serious effort to keep them very simple. And you can build on them once you really get used to them or they're a nice base recipe that you can always change if you need to. But I really just focus on like one to three herbs in each recipe. A lot of recipes are just one herb where we're really focusing on that one herb as well as the actual process of making the remedy. Um, the chapters go by body systems that the recipes benefit and there's the top 15, um, the fantastic 15 is what it's called in the book, the 15 main herbs that are throughout the recipes in the book, and they each have a page um, about them in the book. So check it out if you haven't already, Drinkable Healing Herbal Infusions. And if you already have a copy, I would be so grateful um, if you'd be willing to leave a short review on Amazon. Really helps the placement of the book for visibility. And um, it really just helps the publisher know that it should keep publishing copies of the book. And it would just really help me out. So if you are into it, if you like it, if you have a couple minutes, I would appreciate it. Thank you so much. Now, there was a question that came up um, from a listener uh, that, that also has a copy of the book and follows me on Instagram as well. And she has seen me talk about post and in the book uh, recipe for astragalus root nourishing herbal infusion where I, and I've also do this with some other roots as well, like burdock root, where I'll make a long infusion with a root versus doing a decoction. And a decoction is where you simmer uh, a root. And so when I, and so she was wondering, what's the difference? And how do you decide one preparation over the other? And so I wanted to get into that a little bit before I dive into ground ivy. So it's a good question. And definitely whenever I have, you know, historically studied herbalism um, and herbal preparations, kind of the common understanding with decoctions is that any kind of hard plant material, like dried roots, um, berries, and seeds generally all get decocted because it's harder plant material and it takes a longer time to extract the medicinal properties from it versus just doing like a quick 20-minute tea steeping. 
And so in that case, definitely versus a 20-minute tea or tisane, as I like to call it, especially in the book, just to clarify between green tea, black tea, and then herbal teas or um, tisanes. So that, if you were just to have a root, generally roots aren't made into a, like a 20-minute steeped tisane, unless it's a root that has a lot of volatile oils in it, and which is what you're going for. And then usually a tisane is enough. And same with seeds that are, have a lot of volatile oils. So a root would be like valerian root. Um, you might just make a tea or a tisane out of the valerian root because it has a lot of these volatile oils that help give it its sedative properties where if you were to decoct that or simmer it for a long time, those volatile oils would very likely simmer off um, in the steam. So there's always gray areas and exceptions to any rule in herbalism. And there's always five different ways to do something and five different herbalists that are going to tell you different ways, which is, in my understanding, the most one of the more beautiful aspects of herbalism is it's hard to do it wrong. Uh, you can always experiment and figure out what works best for you and decide on what you're going to, on what, you know, try things a variety of ways and see what you like best and what works best for you. But short of the long is that the roots and the seeds get decocted unless they have volatile oils and then they're steeped. Then we enter the realm of the nourishing herbal infusion um, which I had learned originally from Susan Weed. And her perspective on why she came up with the nourishing herbal infusion, which is where you steep, you know, you weigh out an ounce of herb and you put it in a quart jar. You fill the jar with boiling water. You put a tight lid on it and you let it sit on the counter for four to eight hours. And she says that she really started doing that because she was originally decocting these plants and would kind of be distracted or leave the kitchen and end up burning the plant material. And so for her, you know, this was something that she got a similar result with where she could, it's a, like a long infusion where you're really extracting the minerals, the nutrients, the proteins, the more food-like constituents of the plant. And you can do it with some roots. So I like to work with the nourishing herbal infusions as well. Um, and I like to sometimes do roots as nourishing infusions. Sometimes it's just for the ease of it. Um, astragalus root, I feel like, works really well as a nourishing herbal infusion. You get a lot of the polysaccharides and the nutrition from the root, it ends up being a very sweet tasting infusion where it, when you decoct it, it, it still is a beneficial preparation. There's nothing wrong with, in my mind, of decocting astragalus root or simmering it. Um, but it, it's going to taste a little different. It's going to taste a little more bitter. You're going to extract a little bit more of the bitters from it, a little bit more earthy, and you'll concentrate it more, which is maybe what you're going for. So it really depends on the situation and what works for you. So for me personally, I would do a astragalus nourishing infusion just as like my um, standard like once a week adaptogenic immune system tonic, beneficial tonic. But if I was like really working with it for a specific remedy or Maybe if I was really feeling like I was recovering from deep debility, um, then I might want to potentially try simmering it, decocting it, concentrating it more, um, and seeing if that worked better for me. Although if I was really recovering from deep debility, I'd probably be too tired. <laughs> and making the infusion would just be a lot easier because it's a one-step process. I don't have to keep checking back at the in the decoction and making sure it's simmering and um I don't know for some reason infusions just seem easier process for me I also really like doing a nourishing herbal infusion of the burdock root again if I really wanted a very bitter burdock root extraction um 
like for really enhanced digestion, then I would probably decoct it and make a more concentrated, um, bitter beverage. But if I was working with burdock root more as like a liver um, tonic, like a skin tonic, where I was working with it on a regular basis, you know, daily or every other day, you know, for more deep-seated chronic conditions, then maybe I would work with it as a nourishing herbal infusion um, and see how that worked because it the infusion is a little sweeter that way. So short of the long decoction, nourishing infusion for roots, you can go either way with it. Really the nourishing infusion, you're getting that really hot boiling water, which is gonna, and then you're covering it really tightly with a lid so it like keeps the heat for a while and it almost steams the plant material in there. So it and if you're doing it for a long amount of time, it really allows things to extract. Um, sometimes people make decoctions because they really want to concentrate an herb, like to make it into a syrup. Or if you just want to take a tablespoon of an herb instead of drink a quart of fluid. And so then the decoction is going to be more beneficial, where you can really like concentrate the herbal material. Although if you decoct it for a long time, you're going to lose any volatile oils. So if you're really going for volatile oils in a root or a seed, then the decoction or the long decoction might not be the best thing because those are going to, it's too much heat for those volatile oils. I hope that clarifies it and doesn't constant and doesn't confuse it more for you. But really, it's what works best for you. And if you're trying to decide if you'd rather do an astragalus decoction or astragalus in nourishing herbal infusion, then try it both ways and see what you think. And you can't go wrong. Um, I have done a nourishing infusion with astragalus where then I did like, I would save the root after I strained it out the first round and then make another infusion with that root a second time. And I really didn't feel like, you know, you get a little bit of more out of the root, but there's really not much left in that plant material after the first extraction in the nourishing infusion. So for me, I feel like I really do get a lot um, of the properties and constituents from the root in the nourishing infusion. But be your own judge, play around with it, and see what works for you. All right. And those are some things where in the book, I kind of, I go into details in drinkable healing herbal infusions, um, go into details about the different types of herbal preparations and why you might choose one over the other and then how to best prepare each one before you even get into the recipe section that is covered. All right, so I really am looking forward to talking about ground ivy. Ground ivy, the botanical name is Glaucoma heteraceae, or heteraceae. It also has a couple other botanical names that it has gone by, which is Nepeta heredaceae or Nepeta glaucoma. But the one that I, those might be older names. The one that I hear the most lately is the glaucoma heteraceae. It's also known as gill over the ground, creeping charlie, or ale hoof. And it is in the mint family. It's actually a pretty fragrant wild mint, and it's a perennial. And if you don't mow your your lawn, then it can get up to maybe four to six inches tall, uh, especially when it's blooming. But then as the summer progresses, it kind of 
trails and vines out, and it has like these long vines, hence the name ground ivy. It's not a true ivy, it's a mint. So right now for us here in Maine, it is blooming and it has these beautiful little purple flowers that are your classic mint family flowers. And they, they go in whorls around the stem. It, because it's a mint, it has a square stem and opposite leaves. And these leaves are pretty small and they are round. Um, some people say they are kidney shaped because they kind of are round and then they kind of join in on one side in the center. So if you think of like a kidney bean um, where it's kind of lobe, more lobed on one side and then indented on the other side. And the leaves also are, um, they have, they're kind of scalloped edged, I would say. And it's a very, I think it's a very beautiful plant. If When you smell it, it's like minty, but more like earthy, kind of rich. Some people liken it to either oregano or basil more than peppermint. Although for me, it smells relatively pepperminty. And it grows basically lawns, meadows, gardens. It likes moist, rich soil that's part sun, part shade. And it is a northern European plant. It has a very long growing season. So it's one of the first plants that starts growing um, in the early spring. And it will go all the way to late fall. And it's blooming now, late spring, early summer for us here in Maine. And it'll stop blooming. It might have another little bloom in the fall, but... It can really be worked with and harvested any time of year, although some people might say that they prefer to harvest it when it's blooming. And then some people may say that they prefer to harvest it when it's not blooming. So it's really up to you. I personally prefer to harvest it when it's blooming. That's when it's kind of calling out to me. But if I miss the bloom time, then I can harvest it when it's just leaves. It does have some lookalikes, so it can be confused with bugleweed, which is also known as a juga, which there are both wild and garden varieties of that plant, but it's that's also in the mint family. And it's similar, although the ajuga flowers are kind of all condensed um, more in like a clump at the top of the flower head, um, the top of the stem. The leaves are different, um, but they do look a bit alike. And then also henbit, it looks similar to even maybe dead nettle, if you're not really familiar with your plants. I don't know of any poisonous, super poisonous lookalikes, but it's a good plant to really get to know before you really start working with it. And again, that smell is another really nice telltale way to know that you have the right plant. Uh Historically, it has some magical uses, which I found written up in the book Cunningham's Encyclopedia of Magical Herbs. And those are that uh, ground ivy is used to discover who may be working negative magic against you, if that is such a thing. But I guess that was the thought of how I don't even know how people would work with that. You can, I guess they say that you can place the herbs around the base of a yellow candle and burn it on a Tuesday, and then the person will become known to you. Um, I don't like to think of anyone working negative magic on anyone or against anyone. So I think that that's just an interesting folkloric thought and potential use of the plant. Another interesting historical use of the plant is especially in the history of Saxons that it was used to clarify and add a bitter flavor to beer. And that is why it is known as gill over the ground. 
because gill is um, a technical term from beer making. There's a French word, guillet, which is like, oh, I might be pronouncing that wrong, but it's G-U-I-L-L-E-R, which means to ferment beer. And historically, there have definitely been... um, Lots of herbs that were added to beer other than hops. And this was one that was worked with quite a bit. There are many um, wonderful constituents within the gill over the ground or ground ivy. Saponins is one, which are those like soapy constituents in a lot of herbs in chickweed. Uh, is an herb that has a lot of saponins, which are known to like break up um, like fatty tissue or cysts um, and help to like disperse them, just like soap disperses oils in your pan and your dish sink. Tannins, which are very astringent and um, tend to stain things brown. Volatile oils, which are those what gives it the nice minty scent and are very tend to be very antimicrobial and um, also aid in digestion. Then there's uh, bitter substances, one of which is called glecomine, which means it was likely discovered in this plant because the name glecomine is derived from glecoma. And any sort of bitter substance is going to support liver function and support digestion. And then it has some plant acids. It has uh, sesquiterpenes in it that are non-allergenic. It has flavonoids, which are great anti-inflammatories. It does contain some resin and also some vitamin C. Now, this is one of the mint plants that is known to quickly lose its volatile oils in drying the plant material. So oftentimes, if you're making a tea with it, a lot of people like to make tea with the fresh plant material to really harness all of those oils or freshly dried. But it's not an herb that you're going to you know, dry and then be able to use successfully in tea a year later. It's just going to have already lost a lot of its volatile oils, very similar to lemon balm, where it's like one of these plants that has a really strong scent when it's fresh, but then as it dries, that scent often just really disintegrates quickly. Or maybe I should say volatilizes quickly. Uh, The one warning that I found in relation to this plant is that livestock have been reported to have been poisoned by eating the leaves, uh, the fresh leaves in especially horses or specifically horses, horses. So large amounts could be poisonous to horses. And so therefore, some people say it's probably best not to eat huge amounts of the fresh plant yourself. Although I think that's different than making fresh tea with the fresh plant. And I think it's also different than putting a little bit in your wild herb salad as well. But don't eat a hay bale of it. So in a minute, I will get into more of the medicinal properties and how to work with this herb to make remedies for a variety of body systems and conditions. But first, I wanted to talk a little bit about Noom. Noom uses the latest in behavioral science to empower people to take control of their health for good through a combination of psychology, technology, and human coaching on their platform to help millions of users meet their personal health and wellness goals. And for me, what I really like about Noom is that it's a really easy app to use on your phone, and it really just helps build accountability if you have um, weight loss goals or even just 
uh, eating healthy and exercise goals. It provides you a platform where you can log in your food intake and how what the caloric uh, density of that is and how many calories you intake in a day, which really, for me, makes me pay attention to what I'm eating and makes me um, make better choices. And then it also allows you to log in your exercise so it can tie to your pedometer and keep track of your steps. It can give you goals for calorie intake and for number of steps in a day that you want to achieve. And it can always increase those step goals as you go. And then you can also input other activities or exercise that you do. And it will account for how many calories you likely burned in doing that exercise. So for me, not only does it build accountability, but it also um, just gives me perspective on my day-to-day intake and um, output. So if you want to start building better habits for healthier long-term results, you can sign up for your trial at noom.com slash believe. Again, that's noom, N-O-O-M dot com slash believe, B-L-E-A-V. And as we've been going in these podcasts, I've been talking about different foods that I have been um, working with to help me reach my health goals. And so a fun snack that I have found or like an on-the-go lunch that I have enjoyed is pre-cooked. I will um, cut up sweet potato wedges and roast them in the oven with olive oil and rosemary. And then I'll just put those in the refrigerator in a container ready to go the next day. And then also I will roast um, broccoli with tamari and sesame oil and olive oil and also have that easily accessible as I go. So then I will just have that in a container. I'll put it in my bag for my lunch. And then if I'm really on the ball, then I'll also have my tahini salad dressing Um, that I love to make, which is like a tahini and lemon juice and ginger and celery um, and some warm water. I went into more of a recipe a few podcast episodes ago, but there's also lots of tahini salad dressing recipes out there for you, just as a nice creamy uh, dip. And I find that to be very filling and very low calorie and pretty tasty in the middle of the day. And it's a nice cool treat on a hot summer day as well. Okay, and now back to ground ivy. So some medicinal properties, I'll get into some medicinal properties of ground ivy and some specific body systems that it's helpful for. And then I'll go into more specifics in each body system and how ground ivy could be helpful. And then I'll talk about some um, of the best ways to prepare the herb. So I hope that you're able to locate some in your local lawn or edge of your garden and start working with this plant because it is an abundant weed and also really beneficial in a lot of different ways. So I said earlier that they had bitter constituents, so it has a bitter property, which again is really helps to improve digestion and liver functioning. It's aromatic, which basically uh, comes from the volatile oil constituents I was talking about. And the aromatic herbs tend to be antispasmodic um, to help ease you know, spasms of soft muscles soft organs like intestines or lungs and potentially even like leg cramps um, or uterine cramps. Aromatic herbs also tend to, you know, ease gas and bloating after digestion and they also tend to be antimicrobial. So that's like one herbal term that kind of covers a bunch of different actions. 
uh, astringent. So I mentioned the tannins in this plant. And so astringency comes from tannins and probably a multitude of other plant constituents. Tannins tend to tighten mucous membranes and um, improve the functioning on a cellular level. Can also tend to dry out um, tissues and conditions that where there might be too much dampness or um, moisture. And we'll see how that can be beneficial, like especially for um, excess mu- mucus in the sinuses or congestion in the lungs. Um, also, if there's like diarrhea, astringents can be really helpful. If there are wounds or um, sores on the body, then astringents can really help to heal those and draw the tissue together. Um, astringents can basically have a lot of actions that kind of trickle down from that one property. And we'll get into more details as we go. Um, It's known to be a tonic herb, even maybe a spring tonic herb, because it is so abundant in the spring. So tonics basically uh, tone and strengthen different body systems or organs. Diuretic. And so a diuretic helps the body to eliminate excess uh, water retention. Um, It really, they tend to have obviously an effect on the kidneys and sometimes also on the cardiovascular system. Uh, Decongestant, so definitely helping to obviously clear congestion (laughs) in a variety of places. We'll get into those details. Uh, Anti-inflammatory which is in part tied to the fact that it's bitter and aromatic and astringent. All of those properties also tend to tie in with anti-inflammatory or inflammation modulating. So some body systems or some organs or parts of the body that ground ivy has an affinity for would be the kidneys and the ears, and the lungs, and the sinuses are kind of like on the top of when you think ground ivy, it's like, okay, kidneys, lungs, ears, among other things as well. But those are kind of like the big affinities. Also, you know, as we mentioned, the liver, digestion, and even a little bit of the uterine, uterus. Historically, some interesting um, uses for it was for treatment of jaundice, which again is going to be very liver-connected. Poisoning, especially like heavy metal poisoning, and we'll get into that. So those are both you know, liver beneficials. Um, sciatica, so that would be you know, because it's anti-inflammatory, antispasmodic from those volatile oils, uh, relieving gout, again, anti-inflammatory, working with improving digestion and liver. And then also historically was used against the plague. And I would imagine that that is because of those volatile oils, among other things, and the excess um, congestion or its ability to decongest and fight uh, colds and flus. So because it has these astringent tonic properties, it's known to be a tonic or tone the mucous membranes that are found especially in the ears, the nose, the throat, and throughout the digestive system and the lungs. Now you'll notice that demulcent or like mucilaginous was not among the properties of this herb. And it's definitely more astringent and drying than demulcent. So there's a difference there for demulcent herbs 
also benefit these body parts, ears, nose, throat, digestive system, where they really help to soothe and coat and restore the mucous membranes. With ground ivy, it's being so astringent, it's more able to tone and dry and affect the ears, the nose, the throat, and the digestive system in a different way. So there is a difference there. Difference there. The sinuses. So in again, there's a real affinity for the whole sinus region, especially when the sinuses are inflamed, the mucous membranes are inflamed that are in the sinuses, all facial mucous membranes, um, the nose, it can help relieve that inflammation and relieve the congestion in sinuses. It can also relieve uh, inflamed and sore throats. And if there's a headache that's due to congestion um, in the headache, in the head, in the sinuses, then it has the potential to ease the headache by easing the congestion. And a couple, historically, one way that this was done was the leaves were stuffed up into the nostrils. I don't think they were stuffed too far, um, which was thought to help alleviate headache. And I'm imagining that in part it was, that was like an aromatherapy, right? Like a natural scent therapy where if you kind of crush up the plant material and stick it in your nose, then you're going to be smelling it and you're going to get that volatile oil, that antispasmodic relaxing decongesting oils right to the place where they need to be. I personally haven't done that, so I can't speak from experience, but I thought that was an interesting historical use anyway. And then it was also turned into a snuff for a similar purpose historically. So I think that would be more like dried and ground and then just kind of snuffed up into the sinuses. I don't know if I'd recommend that, but I thought it was an interesting historical use. Uh, for our eyes, it was used to bathe sore eyes. So, you know, doing an eye wash with the tea of the glaucoma or um, maybe doing a, uh, put, putting the tea on a wash rag and then closing your eyes and putting that wash rag over your closed eyes could also be very soothing and astringent for sore and tired eyes. Now, ground ivy also has this really cool affinity for the ears. And I hear a lot of, I've heard a lot of different herbalists talk about it, and especially helping um, reduce tinnitus and earaches, fluid trapped in the middle ear, um, or like a buildup of earwax. And I thought an interesting place where I first read about that was in Culpepper's Color Herbal. And Culpepper is like a really um, old male herbalist, or he was from historically a uh, herbalist, and the, who actually like wrote down a lot of the information. And this book is edited by David Potterton, and it's a, it's a pretty interesting book because it has Culpepper's words in it. And then it also has like has historical uses. And then it has in the same section of each herb, it has the current uses for it. This is the background to Nicholas Culpepper's The Complete Herbal, which was published in 1649. So on page 13, he has... Glaucoma heteraceae, or ale hoof, is what he calls it. And he starts out by saying, The juice dropped into the ear doth wonderfully help the noise and singing of them, and helpeth the hearing which, which is decayed. So, and then there's a bunch of other use. I mean, it really goes into quite a variety of uh different works. And also, he also says, 
a herb for all inward wounds, exulcerated lungs or other parts, either by itself or boiled with other similar herbs. It eases griping pains, windy and choleric humors in the stomach, spleen, or belly. It helps the yellow jaundice by opening the stoppings of the gall and liver, and melancholy by opening the stoppings of the spleen. It expels venom or poison and also the plague. It provokes urine and women's courses. The decoction of it in wine, drank for some time, eases those that are troubled by sciatica or hip gout, and also the gout in the hands, knees, or feet. So, I don't know. Yeah, I find this an interesting book. Check it out if you haven't already found it. But interesting, uh, there's not a lot of herbs that are talked about to help ease tinnitus. And so when you find one, it's kind of nice, especially if that is an issue. And if I had tinnitus and I wanted to work with ground ivy, I would make a tincture myself with it and work with it that way. Because then you're kind of preserving that fresh aspect of the herb um, instead of only being able to make tea from the fresh herb. Because if you live somewhere where there's winter, you don't always have access to the fresh herb. So not only does it benefit the sinuses, the eyes, and the ears, but it also can really benefit the lungs, which makes sense based on its actions. So what it can do is relieve congestion that's caused by colds or coughs and can really help ease prolong colds and coughs. And it can also, if there is congestion in the ear that is caused by colds or coughs or, you know, having some sort of chronic flu or viral condition, then it can also help ease that aspect of ear congestion. It's considered to be a mild expectorant, which helps um, the cough to be more productive. And so if there's like mucus that's too much that you're trying to cough up but are having a hard time doing so, then expectorant herbs can help to help break up that congestion and lift it up. And that's definitely a nice mint quality, especially mints that have these volatile oils in them. So in so doing, it relieves congestion in the lungs and is also helpful for people who have asthma. And for me, I'd probably, if I had asthma, I wouldn't wait until I had an asthma attack. This would be an herb that I would just work with in one form or another, and we'll get into some different preparation ideas, but on a daily basis to just help keep the airways open, to help prevent spasms and or excess mucus congestion in the lungs. So also beneficial for digestion, which we have mentioned. So because of those bitter constituents and the volatile oils, those are like the magic pair um, in an herb that you're going to be looking for that are going to aid in the digestive process. Also, because there are tannins, um, it can relieve any sort of diarrhea internal and also help to relieve hemorrhoids externally, probably as more of like a sits bath where you, you know, fill a pan that you can sit in with the tea of the glaucoma heteraceae. And then it's also known to help alleviate constipation. So either if you either are constipated or have diarrhea, it's going to help to modulate both of those. Also, um, inflammation like gastritis or indigestion. So like kind of nausea, queasy feeling, or if your gallbladder is not functioning properly, so helping you to digest fat, fatty foods. Probably also be beneficial if you experience regular heartburn. And this is another thing that I found fascinating that you don't really hear a lot of plants referenced. 
uh, in helping is that it helps the body to remove lead and other heavy metals. So historically, it was used for people who were said to have painter's colic, which was an upset belly um, from working with too much lead paint. There are a few other herbs that I have heard of that help to relieve heavy metals. Um, so that's ground ivy. That's what we're talking about today. I've heard of cilantro uh, having the ability to do this and definitely the seaweeds also having the ability to do this. I'm sure there are others as well that aren't coming to my mind at the moment. Again, this herb also is really well known to have an affinity for the kidneys some people say, you know, that even the leaves are kidney shaped and could be considered a doctrine of signatures around that. Um, so any sort of problems in the kidneys, any sort of urinary tract infections, and again, with the diuretic action, it can really help with any sort of water retention in the body. Uh, and then also it's known to act upon the uterus, as Culpepper was saying. I've also seen other people mention that it's been known to bring down retention of the placenta. So if the baby's born, but the mother's having a hard time uh, releasing the placenta, then, I don't, then ground ivy could be helpful. I'm not really sure how or in what preparation but something to consider to have on hand. Um, also, it's possibly could bring on menses because, again, it has this like astringent uh, action. So if you say, or I have a risky pregnancy, maybe you wouldn't really want to consume a lot of this glaucoma. But if you feel like, you should be getting your period, but you haven't gotten it, and you want to just kind of give your body a little oomph in that direction, then the glaucoma could be helpful. So lots of benefits. I would say overall, generally thinking, um, you could just consider glaucoma to help to decongest and to stop spasms of the sinuses and the lungs. I don't know that sinuses spasm, but if there's like a headache or like cramping in the head because of sinus congestion, or if there's a cough that's a non-productive cough um, due to lung congestion, um, if there is a need to aid in digestion, it can be really helpful for that. And then also very helpful for the kidneys. So as you work your way down the body, there's just lots of really benefits. Um, the ears are really beneficial. So if any of those call out to you as an herb that you would like to have on hand, or if you commonly have any of those conditions, then you can basically make sure that you ID this herb correctly. Use a ID book and make sure that it has a really nice, strong, minty scent to it. And you can harvest it any time of year, whatever works for you, or throughout the summer, if you would like. If you want to work with it fresh on a daily basis in a tea, or add some to your salads, that could be really beneficial. It can also be used to help, um, again, because it has these astringency for any sort of Wounds or stings, bruises, sores on the skin could be worked with as a wash or a poultice. A poultice is where you kind of mash up the herb and apply it directly. A wash is where you just kind of like wash yourself with the tea. <laughs> um, I like to soak a rag in the tea and apply it to such things potentially. Um, you could even consider making an infused oil with it. I have never done that, but that might be interesting. It's also known to be a wash to help to alleviate hives in babies, especially. Other preparations, a steam to really get those volatile oils released, a steam of the fresh plant material would be really nice, especially if you're having a 
a lot of congestion in your sinuses or sinus headache or anything like that, or like really kind of stuck feeling crusty mucus in the lungs. The steam could be really nice for that as well. Um, historically, people would smoke the herb, which I think would actually probably be pretty tasty if it was like freshly dried. And that's the other reason why I don't think that this herb is for sale on the open market because, I mean, you'd have to harvest so much to even get a small amount of dried plant material that is then worth while selling because the leaves are super small, the plant itself, I mean, it vines and it spreads, but the plant itself is very small and would dry into even a smaller amount of plant material. But you could take the dried leaves and add it to a smoking blend or add it to tobacco to give it more of like a menthol flavor. Uh, tea we talked about from the fresh plant material, maybe from the freshly dried plant material. I have made tea from dried ground ivy and it was tasty. You could also make a tincture by, you know, chopping it up really fine and really kind of lightly packing a jar full of the plant material. You want to get as much plant material in the jar as possible while still leaving enough airspace for some alcohol to fill in through all of the spaces. And I like to use 100 proof vodka for my tinctures. So you have the steam, the smoke, the tea from either fresh or freshly dried leaves. There's even such a thing as ear steaming, where you could steam your face and then you can turn your head on the side and allow, as long as it's not too hot, that steam to penetrate into your ear, especially if you have a lot of wax or excess things, congestion in your ear or in your middle ear that you want to alleviate. And then not only can you do the ear steam, but you can do the respiratory steam, which I believe I already mentioned. So just making a pot of boiling water and then adding your herb to it and putting a lid on it and letting it sit for a few minutes just so it starts to extract those volatile oils. And then when you're all ready, you're sitting at your seat, you can have the big pot in front of you and lift off the handle and Put your head over it with a towel as a tent and take some nice deep breaths, especially if there's a lot of sinus headaches or sinus congestions or cough. Really helps deliver that uh, plant material, plant constituents directly to the place in need. And there you have it, glaucoma heteraceae. I hope that you can go out and find some in your own backyard in the near future and make a tincture, make a fresh tea, dry it and see what, what works for you, what you like. You can find me on Instagram, Facebook, my website, where you can sign up for an informational and inspirational newsletter. Um, Soladago Herb School is how you can find me at all of those places. Check out my new book, Drinkable Healing Herbal Infusions. Thanks so much for listening. I really appreciate it. I And I apologize for a late podcast this week, but it's been a, it's been a full, it's been a full time lately, lots of gardening and parenting and needing to sleep more. <laughs> I don't know if you listened to last week's episode of chamomile, but I usually record these at night and it was late and I was very tired. So I hope that I wasn't too drowsy on the recording but if I was, then you can just use it if you're having a hard time falling asleep at night. Let the podcast embody the chamomile and be soothing and calming to you as it is.
I actually fell asleep while I was recording that multiple times and had to keep. So the editing process was quite involved for chamomile. So I made sure I got my sleep and before I recorded this one. But again, thanks so much for listening. I'm Bridget Doherty. Until next week, be well, let intuition guide you, and have fun with herbs. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.